I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. From Mark chapter 8. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. You may be seated. Some of you know a little bit about my faith journey, my faith story, and if you know much about it, you know that I really didn't want to be Christian. After most of my youth and adult life being sort of faith-free, when the Holy Spirit came knocking, when faith found me again after almost a decade, I didn't want it. Frankly, I was embarrassed, I was ashamed of this newfound faith growing in me, because, you see, for the better part of a decade, I was an atheist, an agnostic, I dabbled in Buddhism and even a little bit of Wicca. I really liked crystals. I thought those were the end-all, be-all. But really, when it came down to it, I just was not a God person. I was a ain't-nobody-got-time-for-God person. And when you spend that much time of your formative years outside of the church, most of your peers are just like you. For me, I didn't have a Christian friend under the age of 40 until I moved to Minnesota for seminary. All of my friends were just as faithless as I was. And so suddenly, I had this feeling, this faith in God, and suddenly I was very different from all of my friends. Honestly, even though I was feeling all of this joy and excitement over my prayers and this growing relationship in my faith, I was hiding it from every single person I knew. From my mom, mostly because I just didn't want her to be right, and from my <laughs> friends because of this embarrassment. It took me six months of prayer before I finally couldn't take it anymore and went back to church. And I went to the church that I knew my parents wouldn't be at because they had moved and I hoped that no one would recognize me, but I was too afraid to go to a church I didn't know because who knows what they'll get, right? It was another few months after I began worshiping at my home church before I finally told any of my friends about my faith. I had gone back to church right before Christmas, and it was about Easter by the time I shared this with them. And they didn't get it. It was super embarrassing and awkward to have that conversation of, I'm sorry, I can't go out tonight, I'm teaching Sunday school in the morning. <laughs> when I finally let that slip, it was... Partly because I just didn't want to hide it anymore. But my friends just didn't know what to make of it. They asked a lot of questions that I wasn't totally able to answer, being sort of 
new to faith and scripture and my tradition, I felt like they respected me a little, or a little bit less. And I realized just how different we had become. And I am really grateful to those same friends who were some of my biggest supporters during seminary, even though they didn't fully understand what it was I was doing or what a Lutheran was exactly. It was those same friends who gave me support and courage even when I was nervous or afraid, and all of them showed up to an ordination service for me a few years later. I don't know a lot of pastors who had half a dozen atheists present as they got ordained. And so for me, Jesus' words today in our Gospel from Mark are really hard, because it's hard for me to think that I have had this shame about my faith, I've had this shame about Jesus, and, and Definitely, I've had shame about the things that some of Jesus' followers do. I've been ashamed of things I didn't understand in my faith tradition. And it doesn't feel good to think that maybe Jesus, you know, the Son of God, Jesus, who is the epitome of love and mercy, might have been ashamed of me. It doesn't feel good. But the truth is, we all fall short of what Jesus asks of us. Even Abraham, who the Apostle Paul in his letter from Romans totes as this most faithful and righteous guy, wasn't really, in my reading, that faithful or righteous. Paul recognizes that what made Abraham righteous wasn't his own abilities, but that he tells the church in Rome that it's God who gives Abraham this righteousness through faith. And where I have a problem is that when Paul says that in Abraham's faith he had absolutely no distrust, really, none at all, and if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah from the book of Genesis more than what we read today, you might wonder how trusting and faithful Abraham really was. Because even in our reading this morning from Genesis, this is now the third time that God has come to Abraham and made this promise. And I don't know about you, but I'm... If I'm making a promise to someone more than once, it's probably because I wonder if they believe me. And if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, you know that they didn't fully believe that God was going to give them children. That's why Sarah abuses her maidservant Hagar, so together Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar can fulfill God's promises themselves. Not very righteous. Not quite as faithful as Paul portrays. So what if the point of our readings from Genesis and Romans aren't to shame us into being faithful servants, but rather to remind us that we are not alone in our failures to live up to God's hopes for us. The faith, the righteousness that Abraham holds all comes from God's promises to him. Paul says that Abraham's faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was this semi-broken faith that God saw and made righteous, that God made into something in hopes that Abraham would continue to live his very long life worthy of that promise. And I need that reminder from Abraham, from his story, that there seems like maybe he had a little bit of distrust, that maybe Abraham wasn't as perfect as Paul makes him seem, which is great for me, because even Paul points out that if it's up to the law, that if it's up to us being perfect, to be sinless, to be the best that we can be all on our own, without any help, then why do we need faith in the first place? If we can do it all by ourselves, why does faith even exist? That reminder is helpful for me as I struggle with the doubts that I have had and I struggle with my own failures. It's great until we get back to that reading from Mark, until we get back to our gospel, the good news, and 
reminded that Jesus has some pretty harsh words to say. Jesus says to Peter, after Peter tries to rebuke him, Get behind me, Satan! Those aren't nice words you say to your friend. He continues, For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus continues to all of his disciples, If you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life, lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes. Yeah, that sounds like gospel, right? That sounds like good news. How many of us get caught up in human things? I know I do. I love my Google Home and my PlayStation, which I gotta tell you are probably the most useless human things that anyone can own. How many of us deny ourselves or our families, our lives, for our faith? How many of us are just sort of comfortable? Are living without fear of religious persecution? Why does Jesus have to be so harsh, so difficult, so uncomfortable with his words? I find myself relating to Peter. I think that's why Peter reacted to Jesus the way he did, because for Peter, the words that are harsh to me aren't a problem. It's Jesus' words talking about his own suffering and death. For Peter, that is harsh and uncomfortable and not what he wants to hear. And so he rebukes Jesus. He tells Jesus, can't you just, can't you just calm down a little bit? And I think that's why Jesus has to say it. Because the truth is, Jesus hits the nail on the head when he asks, what can they give in return for their life? What can we give in return for life? What can we do to be righteous? What can we do to deserve the salvation that Jesus brings? And if that's where you get stuck, like me, if like me, when I think about my own shame and failures, you get stuck asking those questions, then it is a reminder of how much we need Jesus. Because we can't give anything in return for the life that Jesus gives us. We can't do anything ourselves to be made righteous. We can't do anything to earn this life. It's Jesus who gives it to us. It's the Son of Man who undergoes great suffering in order to save the world from shame and failures and sin and death. It's Jesus who goes to the cross to save us, to give us a life worth saving. The cross Jesus goes to, the cross Jesus dies on, is a cross born of love and mercy and forgiveness for the entire world. Jesus rises from the dead to save us, to bring us this life, and to bring us the glory of God the Father. Jesus does all of this for us, for you and for me and for all, because we all fail. We all find moments of shame, moments of failures. Sometimes we don't know what our cross is, how to carry it, or how to follow. For us who may not risk our physical lives to follow Jesus, we are called to risk our comfort, to risk our self-righteousness, to risk relationships and interests, everything we have for the sake of the gospel, and maybe even my PlayStation. We do this for the good news. And it's not an easy message to hear, but we hope beyond hope. Jesus gives us this hope, this strength, this courage, hope in this new life that Jesus gives us to be new people, made righteous and blameless by our Lord and Savior, strength to carry a cross of love and mercy for our neighbor, for those in need around us, courage to share our faith in God's love and mercy, to share God's love and mercy with those we meet without fear or shame, courage to trust the promises 
that God made to Abraham and makes to us, to you and to me, in Christ Jesus, that you are loved, you are forgiven, and you are called to be so much more. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.